and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Every loving parent or grandparent wants to see his child embrace his gender design and calling to pursue godly manhood or womanhood. This episode explains some of the best ways we can help him or her to do so. Thanks for joining us today for Season 2, Episode number 26 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. If we want our kids to continually pursue godly manhood or womanhood as a life direction, we must devote ourselves to praying for God's work in their heart. Because only the heart-driven commitment to put ourselves on the altar as a response to God's love and mercy poured out for us on the cross can give us the energy to devote ourselves to showing the world godly manhood or womanhood. The J.B. Phillips paraphrase catches well the truth that life-transforming power is the outcome of grasping God's merciful love for us. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within, so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. Motivated by a heart-driven gratefulness to God for his mercy, displayed in Romans chapters 1 through 11, Christ followers are to offer their bodies, including their gender and sexuality, to God. They do this, of course, by embracing the biblical view of male and female. We examined this grand design last week and saw that imparting such a view to our preteens and teens is a vital part of loving them well. However, as Paul makes clear in these two verses we just read, our children will only embrace this view if they resist the intense cultural pressure trying to squeeze them into its mold, into its view of gender and sexuality. This fractured view of sexual personhood, promoted by TSER worldwide through its gender unicorn graphic, is that everyone has the right to determine first his own gender anatomy through sex change surgery or hormone treatments, second, his own emotional romantic attraction, which is separated from third, his physical attraction, that is sexual orientation, and also he decides his own gender identity, number four, and number five, gender role. As our teens hear this view proclaimed by loud voices heard through the social media every day, they're especially vulnerable to these ideas because one of the key developmental tasks for adolescents is breaking away from mom and dad to adopt their own identity, including their sexual identity. Adolescence is a time of asking, who am I? Where do I belong? And in what community do I fit? As teens seek to understand their identity, you might say they are looking for a script to follow that explains who they are, why they feel the sexual attraction they do, and what their appropriate gender role should be. Let's identify some of the harmful messages they are hearing today that can influence their identity script. First, destructive messages about their sexual orientation. 
Rich Yates describes his journey into the gay lifestyle, beginning with the soul-starved acceptance he felt from his high school music teacher. He writes, Here was a man different from dad or my brothers. He was gentle, soft-spoken, and warm toward me. He invited me into conversation. He told me of his world of teaching, ballet, music, and artist friends. I told him about my family, thoughts, hurts, and fears. He listened and encouraged me to confide in him. On a snowy evening, he escorted me to the Academy of Music to see Swan Lake. I was so excited. I had never been to the theater. After the ballet, my teacher called my parents and suggested that I stay with him for the night since the roads were unsafe. They agreed, not suspecting, that he would unleash his lust on their son before dawn. He did. Sunrise witnessed my tear-stained face attempting to resume its self-protective mask of stoicism as my teacher cautioned me to keep our secret. He explained to me the truth that I was gay like him. He promised to help me, but said I needed to keep our special relationship undercover. I didn't believe I had a choice. Rich concluded at age 15 that he must be a homosexual, but that never was his true sexual identity. He always was what his creator shaped him to be, a man. Being raped by a man fostered the growth in him of same-sex attraction that he did not want. Years later, Rich would come to faith in Christ and discover an even fuller identity, that of being God's son. Praise God. Another frequent experience today misleads adolescents into thinking their sexual orientation is to be gay, and that is being sexually aroused by gay sex. Nearly every teen in America with a smartphone has come across gay pornography online. Because the nature of pornography is to addict, the teen will often return to the images. He doesn't realize that nearly everyone is sexually aroused by seeing others in the act of having sex even by observing mating animals. Being sexually aroused by seeing gay sex can lead him to mistakenly think he is same-sex attracted. Even more deadly is actually engaging in experimental sex with the same gender. Our kids are hearing that they don't know their true sexual orientation unless they first try gay sex. They do not realize that sexual arousal and release stamp the human brain with a hunger for the same experience of sex. Many college girls and guys who never experienced same-sex attraction in the past but decide to experiment with it create in themselves a degree of same-sex attraction. But experimentation is not the only pathway to same-sex attraction. Some of our children experience same-sex attraction from birth. Proponents of homosexual sex argue that since such people are born with same-sex attraction, same-sex sex is right for them. It would be unfair of God to say otherwise. The biblical worldview does not deny that some people are born with same-sex attraction, but such attraction always comes from a fallen, sinful heart. Among Bible-believing Christians, there is no ambiguity about the morality of homosexual sex or same-sex attraction. Leviticus 18.22, for example, is clear. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. 
Christians trace same-sex attraction back to our race's sinful fall in Adam, to the doctrine of original sin. R.C. Sproul explains, as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, the entire human race fell, and our nature as human beings since the fall has been influenced by the power of evil. We are not sinners because we sin so much as we sin because we are sinners. Every human being comes into this world made in God's image with the law of God written on his heart, but also with a sinful nature. Paul tells us that from that sinful nature proceed sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Same-sex attraction, like all other forms of sexual brokenness, comes from our fallen, sinful heart. Just as some humans are more susceptible than others to the sin of selfish anger, or jealousy, or alcohol abuse, or heterosexual lust, others are more susceptible than others to the sin of same-sex lust. Same-sex lust can only come from a heart that is corrupted by sin. Thinking clearly about this issue is imperative. The identity script that our same-sex attracted Christian kids need is that they belong in the body of Christ with their peers who also have a sinful nature that makes them prone to sins like selfish anger, heterosexual lust, rebellion, bitterness, envy, and so forth. But that is not the message they are hearing. No matter what the source of same-sex attraction whether, as we've seen, it's same-sex rape, getting sexually addicted to gay porn, experimenting with gay sex, or being same-sex attracted from birth, for most Christian kids, the thought that they might be same-sex attracted is terrifying. These are some of the questions tearing them up inside when this happens. Why do I feel attraction towards others of the same sex? What do my attractions mean? Who am I in light of what I am feeling? How do I reconcile my same-sex attraction in light of my Christian faith? How can I be close to God when he doesn't love me since I'm same-sex attracted? Why doesn't God heal me? I've asked him to take away my same-sex attraction. Where can I find those who will love and accept me for who I am? If a Christian teen experiencing same-sex attraction gets no answers to the above questions about himself from his spiritual leaders, the I'm gay identity script supplied by the LGBTQ movement is very likely to resonate with him. That script reads, first, same-sex attractions reflect real differences between people, not just behavior choices. Second, these attractions accurately signal who you are as a person. Third, your attractions reside at the core of your identity, your sense of self. Fourth, if you are gay as the sexual orientation part of your identity, it makes sense to follow through and act on what you feel, your attractions, because you are expressing and enjoying who you are. When parents and churches don't help teens with biblical explanations of same-sex attraction and related gender questions, Christian teens usually buy into the LGBTQ identity script. Here are some sobering words from a specialist working with Christian teens who experience same-sex attraction. 
He writes, Our research has shown that most youth who opt for the gay identity script find it more emotionally compelling than the identity script they are receiving from their local church. A gay identity provides meaning, purpose, and dignity to a person who would otherwise live in shame. That means Christian parents and church leaders must provide teens who experience same-sex attraction an entirely different biblical identity script. Such a script recognizes that same-sex attraction is one among many of the sinful impulses Christians experience. It reinforces the fact that he belongs, as all Christians do, in community with other believers, and it emphasizes that his true identity in Christ is to be a beloved son or daughter of God. So those are some destructive messages about sexual orientation. How about destructive messages about gender identity? Teens who experience same-sex attraction are not the only ones at risk for reaching the wrong conclusions about their gender identity. Christian teens and preteens are increasingly confused by the prevalence of the transgender identity script. As they sort out who they are, they inevitably compare themselves to others. They often see traits in themselves that don't fit the stereotype they have built in their own mind. They may not feel like girly girls or tough boys. When they don't fit their own usually misguided gender stereotype, they may open themselves up to parts of the transgender identity script. But doubting their created gender identity is a pathway to destruction. So in today's world, it is essential that we first strip off our own stereotypes of male and female, pressing back to the biblical definition of godly manhood and womanhood, That was our goal in the last episode. Second, stress God's magnificent creativity. No two portraits of godly manhood ever look the same, nor are two expressions of godly womanhood ever alike. And third, observe and affirm the godly masculine traits we do see in our sons and virtuous feminine traits we observe in our daughters. The rising generation is also constantly hearing destructive messages about gender roles. We know that vibrant marriages, emotional wholeness, and strong families for our children and grandchildren result from following God's design of male and female who have different needs, responsibilities, and callings in the family. But there are big obstacles our kids must overcome to follow that design. At the root of their own heart and our own is a sinful nature that demands autonomy not wanting to submit to God's design of gender responsibilities. On top of that, the rising generation faces a culture that is increasingly deconstructing the traditional understanding of gender roles. In many ways, this is good. Archie Bunker and the self-centered masculinity he portrayed needed to be trashed. Males using their positions of authority in Hollywood, government, and business to get away with sexually abusing women needed to be exposed by the Me Too movement. This deconstruction of wrong views of masculinity, but along with it some valid views of God's design, has left the rising generation of Christians lost when it comes to gender roles. What a fabulous opportunity the church now has to step into this vacuum with biblical truth about God's design. So for both our own kids and the culture, following the wisdom of God's design about gender is the path of life. 
Proverbs 3 comes to mind. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. So let's identify five components of a biblical sexual identity script that our teens need. First, it must be rooted in gospel grace so they know that the community to which they belong is the church, the body of Christ. Adults who guide children into their God-given identity must be those who know that they themselves need the gospel of grace for their life every single day. Sexuality is deeply personal. Feelings of same-sex attraction or doubts about one's manliness or femininity are shameful. Teens will only open up about their struggles to adults who exhibit brokenness over their own sin and a continual recognition of their own spiritual poverty. Christian teens must deeply believe that Christianity is for the prodigal in Luke 15 and not the elder brother. Especially if they experience same-sex attraction, they will feel like their unique struggle is too shameful for them to find community inside the fellowship of the church. We must convince them otherwise. Number two, a biblical identity script recognizes that as believers, their truest identity is to be in Christ and through him adopted as children of God. Paul prays that the Ephesians, being rooted and grounded in love, might be able to grasp the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The Apostle John marvels at the new identity that belongs to those who come to faith in Christ. Consider the incredible love that the Father has shown us in allowing us to be called children of God. And that is not just what we are called, but what we are. We must help teens find their identity in belonging to Christ and in being the beloved son or daughter of their heavenly Father who delights in them. Number three, a biblical identity script explains why they don't fit into the secular world around them. Peter challenges his readers to consider their special identity in the world. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The splitting apart of the human person into biological sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender roles comes from the world of darkness. That darkness fiercely opposes the biblical worldview of sexuality. But as Abraham's posterity was chosen not to fit into the fallen world, but to be a blessing to it, Christians, the spiritual seed of Abraham, are to be a blessing to the world, which is still shrouded in the darkness of sin. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Number four, a biblical identity script emphasizes that they are uniquely designed by God. 
teens measuring their manliness or femininity by comparing themselves to their friends is folly. Psalm 139 tells them that God fashioned them in the womb. And Ephesians 2.10 reads, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Helping teens experience their unique design, spiritual gifts, natural abilities, personality strengths, and so forth, should be part of helping them grow into adulthood. Number five, a biblical identity script motivates boys to pursue godly manhood and girls to pursue godly womanhood. Paul gives us a glimpse into his view of a father's job when he said to the church at Thessalonica, You know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. Confusing messages about gender sent through the social media explode in your child's soul every day, tearing down the building blocks your child needs to have for healthy sexual self-understanding. Our kids need that foundation rebuilt with words of praise from you as a father or grandfather that articulate the biblical worldview of sexuality. They need their sexual self-image built up and strengthened with your words, affirming your son's masculine traits and your daughter's feminine ones. Such a regular dose of verbal vitamins will affirm and inspire your children as they pursue godly manhood and womanhood. By the way, the sixth chapter of my book, Anchoring a Child to God's Truth, gives more detail on developing this stockpile of verbal vitamins. So men, every father and grandfather wants his child to grow up with a strong self-image. Today's culture requires that such an image is grounded in a clear biblical view of gender, helps them understand why they can expect rejection for embracing a biblical role, and shows them that following God's design of male and female differently to complete each other is not only the path of life, but that it brings glory to God as our marriage images God himself, the three persons of the Trinity who love one another. To summarize this episode, just about every Christian counselor I know emphasizes how much teens need a strong self-image to resist the overpowering peer pressure that's part of our teen culture. Helping our teens build the right kind of lasting identity, though, must begin with God working in their heart so that they want to offer God their body, sexuality, and gender calling as a response to God's overwhelming love and mercy toward them. The reason we need to help our preteens and teens develop a godly sexual identity is that today's culture is constantly sending them destructive messages which they might internalize, concluding that they are gay or trans or simply rejecting the biblical teaching about roles. The biblical identity script into which we want to guide our kids must one, be rooted in grace, two, be marinated in the truth that we are God's beloved adopted children whom he enjoys. Three, explain why so many will reject our biblical view of gender roles in marriage and in the church. Four, emphasize that they are uniquely designed by God to accomplish his purpose for their lives. And fifth, motivates our sons and daughters to want to show the world God's design of male and female to complete each other. 
For further prayerful thought, number one, based on Romans 12, 1 and 2, read at the beginning of the episode, how is adopting the biblical worldview of gender and sexuality the right response to God's love for us poured out in Christ? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. You might want to print out the five points of the biblical identity script included there for your youth leaders or parents with teens. Much of the material given in this five-week podcast series was taken from my book, Anchoring Your Child to God's Truth in a Gender-Confused Culture. There is a link in the show notes to find out more about the book. Next week, we begin a new series, Igniting Fire for Our Mission in a Disheartening World. As we in the world start to return to normal life after COVID, it's a great time to think in a fresh way about our mission from Christ. What did God place me on planet Earth to do? And am I staying focused enough on that calling? Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.